Hey, Risto here at George Mason University. Today we're talking with Dr. Clancy Seymour, an associate professor from Canisius College and newly tenured over the summer. Uh, and Dr. Mark Garrison, who is a professor of education at West Texas A&M University. Um, we're going to discuss their 2016 paper titled, What They Think About How They, they Are Evaluated, Perspectives of New York State Physical Educators on Teacher Evaluation Policy. A really interesting read for me, a uh, very educational read for me, because it was a lot of what um, I don't do for, for my job, so I, I learned a lot from the paper. Um, we'll link to the article in the show notes, uh, and Mark Clancy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Risto, thanks for having me, and Clancy and I, that's great, and it's also great to meet you and learn about your work. Thanks, Risto, and it's always a pleasure to uh, get a chance to share some of the things that uh, you're interested in in terms of uh, your work, and it's and certainly an honor to be here with uh, Dr. Garrison as well. Appreciate being here. And we'll give a plug to your podcast, the New York State Aford uh, podcast, uh, available. A uh, couple episodes in, Clancy, so uh, good on you for getting some, uh, some information out there. Uh, we'll link to that. Thanks, also. Risto. Yeah, following in your... Yeah, yes, thanks for following in your footsteps, and uh, uh, Ash as well, uh, the New York State A for A through Z and Health and PE podcast. Thanks. Appreciate the plug. Love it. Uh, so let's start off. Easy question. What got you interested in teacher evaluations? Yeah, that is a great one. Uh, you know, uh, my um, exploration of this topic really started as, uh, you know, a, a doc student working for Dr. Garrison and being admitted into the doc program uh, uh, at um, Duval College where I did my doctoral degree in educational leadership. And uh, so my journey really uh, extended into trying to figure out how I can tie physical education into educational policy and reform, which is really the focus of uh, the doc program at Duval College. and. Uh, Fortunate for me, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Garrison serving as the director at the time of the program and and uh, eventually my dissertation chair now, uh, mentor, friend, and colleague, uh, you know, he, he was very open to the idea of uh, exploring physical education as it's influenced by these policies. Uh, and so it was a, it was a you know, a great uh, marriage of our two interests, and uh, I was able to... Um, to move forward with that. And, and, you know, Dr. Garris's interest in educational policy reform, he's written a few books. What really uh, certainly piqued my interest was um, uh, when I got into this topic itself was an article he wrote about the history of um, teacher evaluation and uh, test-based teacher evaluation and value-added models. And the fact that not too many people realize that these, uh, these, um, measures have been uh, trialed before uh, with uh, similar results. And I'll let uh, Dr. Garrison add. Well, one of, the, one of the things that was going on at that time, 2013, 2014, 2015 in New York State, was the uh, emergence of the adoption of the Common Core State Standards and along with that, um, new teacher evaluation uh, protocols and policies which you know, were connected to those standards and that larger initiative, largely funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And at that time, um, those things were very, and, and remain, but were very controversial in New York State. And in addition to the writing I was doing, I was doing a lot of public speaking, um, and you know, everything from working with area legislators to oppose uh, some of the things that were going on with both the standards and teacher evaluation and also parent groups and speaking at various forums in addition to writing and doing research. Um, so that was, a, that was very much on my agenda at that time when Clancy was a student and he and I had a lot of discussion in my office. Clancy, remember those long discussions we had? Um, and, and as Clancy was educating me about physical education and the trials and tribulations of the field over the years, what some of the issues were, um, we were able to merge those uh, different areas, policy, uh, education reform, uh, and PE. Um, and I think uh, not only was that, you know, that article, I think was uh, an important contribution, but it's actually 
launched Clancy into what I see as a, you know, as a very successful career and uh, playing a very positive role in advocating for not only PE, but public education in general. Yeah, absolutely. And so I'm interested, what, it, what does teacher evaluation look like? Because I know it's different from state to state, even district to district. I know some of it has to do with really strong teacher unions that restrict certain things. I know when I was teaching in New York, there are all these conversations in, the, in New York City DOE about what they're going to be evaluated on, how many visits are, is allowed, is it with a supervisor, is it unannounced? So what, is, what does teacher evaluation look like currently? You know, great question, Risto. Uh, and real quickly, before I um, get into that answer, I, I just want to highlight what uh, Dr. Garrison brings up about his, um, his previous experience. You know, he, he, you know, when we met, he didn't know a lot about physical education, and you would be very impressed about how much he has embraced the discipline and how much he values the um, contribution of physical education, health education, to the well-rounded education of each child. So kudos to him. I always tell him that he has an honorary degree now in physical education. So kudos to, to Dr. Garrison. Um, you know, uh, I mentioned historically about teacher evaluation. I would say the same overall, and, and, and again, Mark can can add to this, but um, teacher evaluation prior to this policy that took shape uh, in the Obama administration through to, um, you know, 2013-14, like Dr. Garrison mentioned, teacher evaluation traditionally was more an observational type of decision. An administrator would come in uh, and uh, uh, use some sort of instrument to evaluate you uh, uh, once or twice during the school year. And that's what teacher evaluation may look like uh, in many states across the union. You know, just one of the things that's really interesting uh, as, as a context here is that teacher evaluation was largely observation-based, meaning it was an administrator uh, building or other district appointed person who would come in and observe the classroom. There was, uh, 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 you know, elite policy-making circles increasingly raised concern about the efficacy of that. Um, and, and, you know, the undertone of that was we don't trust professionals at the local schools to evaluate their teachers. Um, and, and there's a whole history there that's really important related to the deprofessionalization of teaching in general, as well as the devaluing of things like physical education, art, music, and so on. So it's important to understand the context, right? So it makes a lot of sense to say, you know, if I want to know how someone's teaching and, uh, and evaluate them, I have to watch them teach, see what they do, um, and so on. And that was what was historically the case. Um, but there's this background where that process was distrusted, and that sets the stage for really what we started to explore. Um, I've had students in my class who actually, who were art teachers, for example, who said in the 13 years, this is when I was working with them, the 13 years they've been teaching, they had never been observed. Um, part of that is that, uh, you know, there's it's a staffing issue. If you have one assistant principal and you're the principal and you've got a large teaching, uh, a lot of teachers under you, um, it's, simply, it's simply not, uh, it's simply challenging to do that given all the other demands that are placed on those administrators. Um, I've actually, counter to what might, the public might think, I've actually, in my work with teachers in, in different states across the country, um, actually, generally speaking, really like to have a sincere conversation about their teaching and, and kind of show off what they're doing with anybody, including an administrator or even a fellow teacher. Um, essential subjects, you know, this whole idea of essential subjects and teacher evaluation is itself a problem, right? Why is PE, art, music seen non-essential, whereas math and English are seen as essential? Um, obviously, they each play a unique role in our society, has all components in it. You know, art and music, um, I think, are a huge part of people's daily daily life, as mm -hmm. is physical activity, whether or not they're physically active. Um, right now, with, um, if we can just jump into that, right now with the, with the APPR in New York State, um, the first thing that we got to talk about is it's on hold because of the pandemic. Um, so data is being collected about teachers through whatever mechanism the, the district and the collective bargaining unit have agreed on. And we'll talk about that later in the interview. Um, but right now that the APPRs are on hold, so the data is being collected, but they can't make tenure decisions based on that. Um, and so how the evaluation now, if we didn't have a pandemic, would be um, a portion of your evaluation is still uh, as it would be. But the other part is based on some sort of performance assessment. Um, and that's negotiated by the district uh, 
with the collective bargaining unit and, and, and our, our article covers the major ways in which PE people, uh, people working in PE can be evaluated, right? You can do a performance assessment, you can have a student learning objective, you can have a paper and pencil test. The main policy objective is that for you to be considered effective, not only do you have to be doing the kinds of things in your classroom uh, professionals might think you should do, you have to show growth. Right, and, and, and then the, what's going on now under APPR is that the district negotiated, hey, teachers in, in our district, how do you want to be evaluated? How do you want to demonstrate growth? Um, and that's what's really new is this, 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 this change in, it's not quote unquote best practices, right? A good lesson design, good relationships with the students, um, kind of the feedback or assessments that are provided but it's are you seeing change in the student using some metric or, 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 or whatever it may be. And that's, that's a big part of the APPR. And, and if we didn't have the pandemic, uh, teachers could be denied tenure based on um, a lack of demonstrated growth under whatever negotiated metric uh, they have. Right. And so, so Clancy, do you think that's fair? Yeah, yeah well said. It's a, it's a proxy measure. Uh, Dr. Garrison mentioned essential versus non-essential subjects. I, uh, obviously, I, uh, physical education, art, music, health, uh, all of that is essential. Um, but that gets into some of the underlying layers that may be involved in some of these uh, discussions. But nevertheless, the key to the APPR, and we're going to get into this more, is that it's a proxy measure. The idea of evaluating the, the growth that Dr. Risto Martin and has uh, influenced over a group of students, either the growth that he, or sh that he has shown or the non-growth from the students' uh, performance they have shown. And so what are the pushbacks that, that I've heard from, from teachers being evaluated in this way is, let's say for physical education, let's say you are only allotted 60 minutes a week in class time, two 30-minute classes, and so then I'm, I'm asked to you know, do X, Y, Z and show growth. So where, where do you stand on that? Like how does that work in... Because I, I can see like a classroom teacher, like if you're teaching third grade and you see them five hours a day, you should be able to show some sort of progress. But when you're limited in the time that you're there, and for instance, if you put a performance measure like, which I hope people are not doing, but fitness testing or something like that, that I've heard people do it, you, don't, you only control 60 minutes of their life. You know, and the rest of it might be really inactive. They might not have opportunities to be active outside of school or they don't have an after school program, but that teacher's still being held accountable for that. And I know that there's pushback on that. So where where does where is that argument? And is that does that carry any weight? Go ahead, Mark. Well, you know, there's two things here. One is um, obviously you know the, the fact that the, the, the PE classes occur in this limited frequency compared to other classes is a problem unto itself. And then uh, to hold teachers accountable, however rationally or irrationally, uh, with the, some sort of expected change with that limited amount of intervention um, doesn't make a lot of sense. So the, the, the first thing is to step out of the teacher evaluation question and to say, look, PE, physical activity is needed every day, just like reading and math are needed every day. And, and until, until we get there, some, in some ways, the, the evaluation question is a bit of a red herring. Um, PE professionals can't fully play their role and assist in the development of youth if they're not given the time and resources to work with the youth in, in whether it's sports or physical activity or uh, anything of that sort, um, even if they're learning different games. Um, that's, that's part of it. The second part is, is that there's a misattribution, right? So the, the policy makes a fundamental confusion between what we understand to be good teaching and whether or not the students um, you know, respond to that teaching. And so there's a lot of things that affect student performance or growth or development. Um, you know, this is the rub, right? This would be for a math or, or, or English teacher. Uh, you're, you're, you're asking, you're evaluating me based on what the student does. Um, you know, so if we, if we, if we understand what you know, what causes learning? What causes learning in any field, whether it's art or, or English or science, is the activity of the learner. 
Um, the teacher's job is to active, you know, create the conditions for the learner to become activated and to structure knowledge in meaningful ways and, and engaging and so on and so forth. Um, but it's the activity of the learner that causes the learning. It's not the teacher. And mm -hmm. so the policy makes a misattribution between um, what the teacher does and what the teacher has control over. The teacher has control over what goes on in the classroom, what kind of feedback is provided and so on. Um, but they don't control the actual development of children directly. It's an indirect relationship. Um, and that, that's why it's, a, you know, it's kind of a beautiful field because you see the interaction between teacher and student, which is a beautiful interaction, but it's also one that's not easily, it's not a cause and effect relationship in the way that, you know, if I add salt to water or something happens, it, it, that, that model of cause is being imposed on a dynamic social relationship uh, when it shouldn't be. Um, and so the whole value added idea, while it sort of makes sense to look at growth, I mean, I don't think anyone's opposed to that in the general sense, um, to attribute effective teaching uh, and even that word effective, I'm not sure I like, you know, I think there's master teachers and we should model them and, and help everybody understand what that looks like in different contexts. Um, there's there's models of that. Um, I don't know if there's a single best practice, but in, in different contexts, there are things that we know to, to be better than others. And that's what should be the evaluation. Um, one hopes there's a dotted line between that and students having a positive educational experience. Um, but you and all of us here and everyone listening has experiences where you can, you know, I've been in a class with a great teacher and there's some students for a whole host of reasons, either personal or um, life circumstance or just they didn't like the teacher. They don't, they don't, they don't get a lot out of it. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't think it makes a lot of sense to hold the teacher accountable for those particular instances. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Clancy, I'll back to a follow there. Uh, yeah, Risto, that, that's, uh, Mark says it well. And a couple things that I would add uh, to it is just, you know, we talked about historically that teachers have been evaluated using direct observation. And for the most part, you know, there's, there's strengths and weaknesses. One of the weaknesses could be the instrument itself. Um, you know, in the past and even currently, uh, teachers are evaluated using instruments, for example, in PE, like the Danielson rubric we've all heard of. Uh, that was that rubric ever envisioned for physical education? That the again, the <laughs> instrument itself could pose as a problem. And then, you, you know, we talk about uh, again. Mark brings up excellent points about just some of the confusion that goes on with with teacher evaluation and teacher effectiveness. Right. Well, if we think about uh, teachers here in physical education in New York State with the APPR. 60% of their evaluation is still direct observation. And we can then argue about using this Danielson rubric and how problematic that could be. But the other 40% is on this performance growth score proxy type of measure, okay? And, and now the PE teacher has a say, but you know, in consultation with the district and it's agreed upon by the district and NYSED, which we'll get into in a second, okay? We could make an argument that the classroom teacher has it far harder than the PE teacher when it comes to this policy because they they don't have any choice in what their growth score is. It's the standardized test, mm. math and English, something like that. One more thing here that's really, really important, which is a subtext to this entire discussion, is that educators in general and PE professionals in particular are being evaluated by, by a system largely of not of their design um, and again this goes back to the, the the effort to create a sense of public distrust in educational professionals which is the sort of social and political origin of these policies um, we can't trust local educators to do a good job because they're they're lazy or they're i don't know whatever the whatever the problem is and of course you can always trot out a few examples to to make that case um, but pe professionals need to be at the center of designing how it is the evaluation take place why because they hold the expertise. They know what good teaching looks like in a PE context or a sport context. Um, uh, a, a school administrator who doesn't have that background won't have that knowledge. And certainly someone from the state education department doesn't have that knowledge. And so if you're concerned about accountability or them doing the right thing, okay, that's fine. But you're not going to get a serious evaluation system that leads to improving the quality of instruction if you don't have the professionals who actually know what that means at the center of designing that system. So the Danielson example is excellent. So whatever we might think about Danielson, um, and I'm not in love with it, 
I think it's I think it's inappropriate and silly to use in a PE context. And you can tell, you know, if PE professionals like or associations like AFERD have said, you know, we we're going to design something and we want this to be used, and we collectively agree this is what's uh, this is what we think are the key things for different, you know, and you can have it by grade level in, in different areas. That would be much better. Um, and in fact, they could provide observational training to whoever's doing the observation or even have teams. Uh, I love the, the old English model where you have teams of teams walk around to different schools, kind of like you do uh, in higher ed. You have these uh, you have these teams of other professionals like yourself come and, 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 and study your campus. Um, there's problems with that, too. But uh, I think as a starting point, it's a, it's a much better, more collegial, more professional model of how we how we evaluate ourselves and, and our profession. Yeah. And and it seems like like that idea obviously works. Like if you have the state association go through and and advocate for it, and it goes back to advocacy and policies made at the state level or national level, however, but having that sort of rubric for physical education teachers. And then if you go through and train those teachers, one of the differences is it would cost money for you to pay that group to come in and and do it, whereas it doesn't cost extra money to send the assistant principal to sit in on a physical education class where the assistant principal has a social studies teaching background and they hated PE. And so then they go out and observe this PE teacher who is, let's say, just rolling out the ball. And they're like, well, this person is really great because all of the kids are busy, happy, good and full scores. And it's not what we want going out there. So it, it comes down to advocacy policy and having some money invested in, in quality teacher observations, it seems. So no doubt, no doubt. So let me, let me ask you this. I, I, I asked uh, on, on the, on the questions I prepared about the value added models. Um, can you speak to that before we, before we move forward? Sure. So I, I kind of, uh, let the cat out of the bag a little bit already, but in New York State, the APTR uh, in physical education being a technical subject as it's defined uh, by the policy, and we can get into why that's problematic and afterthought. Let's come back to that in a second. But um, in physical education, the APPR uh, is set up for teacher evaluation in that 60% of the evaluation of the teacher is based on direct observation. One scheduled visit during the school year, one unannounced visit. And that combination of scores uh, using the Danielson rubric uh, is 60% of the grade, so to speak, for the teacher on their teacher effectiveness rating for that school year. Then the other 40% is based on mutually agreed upon metrics that the PE teacher alongside the school district pick to show growth. And that growth score um, is then accounts for 40% to make up the 100%. Great. And... So the other, the other question I have, and we kind of jumped into this a little bit about having standardized testing in, um, in like math, science, English, when you're going through, you're, you're getting kind of forced into being, and then we get to the grades of the test, then we get to all of these like scandals that have happened at different schools of, you know, teachers changing test scores in order for their classes to to pass through and all of these things that are wrong with standardized testing. But, you know, physical education doesn't have a standardized test. Now, we have standardized testing for fitness. So like a fitness gram or some sort of, you know, back in the day, presidential fitness challenge. But what, like, are some of these schools in New York test like taking that 40% and saying, give me a fitness gram and I'll improve my scores and game the system, have them do really poorly and increase? Like, is that is that what they're doing? Or what is like the paper and pencil test you referred to earlier? Is that something that a teacher develops? Is it validated, reliable? How does that work? Uh, great question. I mean, Mark, you want to go first? Go for it. I just want to just do a real quick background thing, Clancy, yeah. and then hold on that. Thought. One, I, in the chat, yeah. in the chat, 
Risto, I, I gave you a blog that uh, has a lot of information on value-added models in general, not about PE, but about mm -hmm. uh, value-added models from uh, a professor who's done a lot of work and also advocacy in court cases uh, involved, and she's given professional testimony in court cases about value-added models and their illegitimacy. Uh, the basic idea is that you create a statistical model that tries to parse out the responsibility for the change in scores, negative or positive, to the teacher as opposed to other factors. So these statistical models will throw in things like free and reduced lunch status of the student and so on, and they have different ways of doing that. Um, New York State's value-added model isn't, isn't, it is different than other value-added models. It's a quasi-value-added model. Um, and even the, uh, the, the research firms that the state has hired, uh, their own material has said, you know, the things bias, people who work in schools that serve students who live in poverty get lower scores. And then they concluded the brief saying, however, it's equitable and fair, um, because that's what the state wanted the research to, to mm -hmm. find. But you can share with readers this value added, uh, some literature on value added, largely from the psychometric and policy community. So it's limited in that respect, but it, the technical side and its illegitimacy from a technical standpoint is articulated there. Awesome, yeah, I'll, I'll just definitely share that, that resource. Thank so you. Go ahead, Francie. Yeah, so, I mean, Rissa, you said it well. I, you know, in our study, uh, we looked to explore uh, what PE teachers uh, were doing in, in, in response to the APPR and then, and then tried to ascertain their perspectives about whether this would be uh, sound practice. And so uh, what did we discover? Well, uh, you know, the, the prolific uh, tests for the growth score used in PE are written tests and uh, by 38% of our sample and uh, fitness tests by 27%, followed by, what do you think? Followed by mathematics and English standardized tests. So that comes in at number three, at seven, at uh, seven, 18%, excuse me. And then last but not least, our performance-based assessment. So what we might think about without the policy in default comes in last when, when, when sub, you know, subjected to the APPR. So just to, just to be clear, you're saying that physical education teachers, the number, like the third most popular way that they were assessed was on math and English scores, even though they're not oh, yeah. teaching math they and English. Exactly. So they were likely, uh, again, in negotiation with their school district and their district and themselves decided, okay, my growth score for me as a teacher will be attributed to the mathematics or English language arts uh, standardized test. So uh, long story short, better buy Tim Hortons coffee for your math and English teachers, uh, PE teachers in New York State. So is that, like, that seems so absurd to me. Was, like, was that PE teacher at the table or was that just like a, a principal move that said everybody's doing the same thing, math and English scores are really important in the school, so everybody's going to be held accountable. And then the PE teacher, the music teacher, the, I mean, the science teacher who doesn't teach math and English is accountable for that. What do you think happened there? I think it, I think it varied by district. One of the things to keep in mind is that these these choices, the districts are allowed choices for these professionals, art, music, and PE, right? They don't have an existing test that the state mandates. So the district is allowed to negotiate one of these options and it's up to the district and the collective bargaining unit. So whoever is at that table usually would be the president or officials in the local chapter of the union um and district administration would negotiate and there's probably all kinds of things that influence those choices including you know maybe maybe you've, you know we've seen some of these written tests you know what it which one of the following is a basketball right and the kid circles a basketball um and you could you know you could have a you could you, you could see that you know before you teach them basketball if they choose the right one and then at the end of the year you give it the test again or, or something of that nature and i can see reasons for doing that um, that are strategic 
even if they're not educationally sound and mm -hmm. you know but there's there's variation across the state as our as our results show right so districts negotiated different things but uh you know eight you know 18 percent roughly or 18 percent of the physical educators anyway um we're doing something that absolutely makes no sense you know fitness testing might make sense to someone who's not a pe teacher i i would advocate against it because there's so many things that affect fitness and as you pointed out early in the show um, pe classes um you know they're not that you know they're you don't what do you have them once every six days um for for 40 minutes um and you know so i yeah i don't think that's a good metric now like you said you could game it like okay you create conditions for the kids to be able only to do eight push-ups and then next time you i don't know give them sugar or something and then they they, they do more i, I don't know <laughs> i'm not sure how to game that system but um these things are negotiated and, and my guess is an interesting study would be to you know do some interviews of, across the state with people who have different ideas and experiences and see what were the factors that influenced these decisions right or wrong um, that would be a good policy study and, and just to add a couple of things and Risto you asked really great questions and and you really do kind of answer them within and that there's a lot of competing tensions so why are mathematics or ELA standardized test scores used? Or, you know, uh, well, the, at the time that we did this study, you have Common Core. A lot of you know, the accountability error is, uh, is clear and present, right? And uh, so you've got that tension. And then you, you've got the idea that schools are being uh, measured by this adequate yearly progress from NCLB and now the transition to the Obama administration's policy. Okay, so uh, school administrators are under a lot of pressure, and so what are they doing? They're trying to find ways to boost up those performance or those, excuse me, those standardized test scores, and use subjects like PE, art, and music to contribute to that. So um, I would think that sometimes those decisions were made for uh, a lot of reasons, not just. Uh, and probably ease too, because of again the, what you talked about with Dr. Vandermars previously, literacy, educational policy literacy, not knowing enough about it, so taking the easy way out. Yeah. I just want to say that because there's this emphasis on the cognitive, we know and we documented this um, move towards the cognitive domain, even for physical education, and the emphasis on the written test may simply be, and I can see an administrator having this logic, however much we might think it's goofy. That's just another literacy activity. It's going to boost performance. The more tests the kids take, the better they're going to get at taking tests. And the main tests in which the schools held accountable for English and math are of the same nature, right? So you you have people pushing ideas that you know during PE class we can we can squeak in a math lesson, or we can squeak in some English literacy uh, some content or vocabulary, um, and that you know so there's a lot of things happening at once. Uh, the, 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 the aim uh, of public education has been dramatically narrowed along with the curriculum that's been dramatically narrowed, which is a reflection of that aim, right? So you're, the aim is career and college ready. You know, forget about everything else. Forget about the democratic purpose of education. Forget about uh, being cultured and enlightened in a broad way about your society, which would include enjoying art, music, and physical activity and sport. Um, so all of the, this, this narrowing of what the education is supposed to do essentially produce worker drones, um, mm -hmm. and that's it. Um, and, and, and that's really that's really behind a lot of the things we're seeing here. Um, and then you have administrators and teachers adapting more or less effectively to what is what is a, a losing battle. Um, it's not a good decision to you know like which one of these bad ideas should we should our district adopt? Um, you know we. We, we, later on, I think we want to talk about why why didn't they choose performance based and why did they choose you know why did they choose those? But I think part of it is this un, uh, this unarticulated focus on a cognitive domain at the expense of the social uh, development, emotional development, physical development of youth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I and I see that with uh, there there has been a push for integrating different subjects, and you know this is something that I've done projects with and research with and. You know, whether it's integrating literacy or math or STEM contents, we just did a summer project about how to integrate STEM content into fifth, seventh, and ninth grade PE. But at the end of the day, physical education should be teaching about physical education. And that 
you know, a lot of a lot of teachers that we've interviewed over the last couple of years have said, "There's no way I can integrate that. I don't. I don't even have time to do the content that's required of me in the standards of learning <laughs> in my state. So why do you want me to add science or mathematics or technology in there?" And and I think that it takes effort to integrate it well, and then it's seamless. But then it it's not like with with our after school program we integrate literacy and and the very beginning like the first couple years i was doing the equivalent of rolling out the ball for literacy that a pe teacher would do like so for me it was just like oh we're just going to read or we're just going to do this like activity and it had nothing to do with the grade level that they were at it was just me trying to force something in there until we talked to a literacy expert who was saying, well, this is how like literacy thought has evolved. It's not just read this and answer these questions. And I think that it can be done very well. Like integration can be done very well, but I don't, I wouldn't agree that PE teachers should be held accountable for literacy and math scores for their like future of their job. Like that's not what they went to school for. And I understand literacy should be taught across the curriculum and literacy should be something that all students are working on. And it's, you know, different. It's not just reading, writing. It's, it's about context, right? But I feel like there's, there's so much wrong with the math and literacy being a part of the, of the evaluation. So I'll ask this. You asked this from the from the teachers. What did what did they feel about that? Like, how did they feel about being evaluated in in these different ways? I could just respond to that real quick, and I promise to be brief. Um, I think the issue of you know cross curriculum and integration, um, you know, on the on the on the surface, it sounds great. The real question, I think, is what's the motive? And I feel lurking behind these pushes to have PE do these other things. You know, can you teach concepts of physics in, 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 in a PE class? Yeah, you, you could, because there's a lot there. There's a lot of material there. Well, what's the, what's the aim? I think the underlying philosophy is that PE is only useful to the degree that it boosts cognitive performance. And I think that view is wrong. PE is unto itself a valuable period, end of discussion, as is art, as is music, and by the way, as is science, math, and English, and social studies. I wouldn't expect social studies to make people go out and do sports more because they're reading about the history of sports. It's just the, the, the history is valuable unto itself because of what it is. It doesn't need to have some sort of magical effect on some other domain. And I feel that art, music, and PE teachers are often put in a position where they have to justify it because it has some effect outside of those domains. And I think if that's the motive, then my, 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 my retort to the idea that PE teachers should be doing math or literacy, I would say what's good for the goose is good for the gander, then everyone should be doing push-ups in English class, right? I mean, does that make sense to people? Um, so that's, that's, that, you know, I, just, I, just, I really think we have to look at the motivation for what might seem like good ideas, but if the good ideas have a motivation that's um, problematic, I, I think that's part of the evaluation. What's the aim? We have yeah. to evaluate the aim and, of these. And there was a big push from, and Clancy, I'm sure you've seen this, the brain scan that's on all the Shape America documents that shows a brain at rest and a brain active yeah. or 20 minutes after physical activity. And that's supposed to say like that is priming you for cognitive learning. And that's why physical education is so important. And I, I talked to a, a colleague of mine in Australia who, who said, well, yeah, the brain is more active when you're walking because you're like stimulated by a lot of things and you're walking and you're not going to trip. And like, yes, it's way more difficult for the brain to function than it is sitting. But does that lead to cognitive development over years? And yes, there's been some studies in Naperville and stuff. And But I think that physical education latched onto that to show how important they are. Like we are important in school, please don't drop us. And, and I think you're right. That. Yeah. And I think that's true. I think all of that's true. Like there is, there is, there's, there's, there's layers of existence. There's the biological, psychological, the social. 
Um, and these layers interact with one another and PE focuses on uh, the physical and, and, and but it's also the social and cooperative layers and they interact with one another. And I'm sure that overall this increases the uh, potential for different types of cognitive tasks being performed well and learning and all of that. But I guess my point is that the starting point has to be that these things exist on their own terms for reasons of cultural value. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 it's valuable to the species to have physical activity Sport is cult, sports is part of culture, right? Yeah. That's part of the cultural heritage of, of, of a people is how they how they engage in these sorts of things, and it's valuable unto itself. I mean, one doesn't one doesn't watch football games so that they can learn chemistry or physics. They watch it because it's enjoyable and meaningful to them and part of their culture. Yeah. End of story. Um, you know, um, and I just I just think those discussions are really needed, and those need to be. I mean, we'll talk. Maybe we'll talk about this at the end, although. Uh, you know, they need to be connected to the evaluation question. Why are we evaluating in the first place? What is it we're trying to achieve? Right. Well, and another thing, too, is not to mistake uh, the article and, and our discussion today to, to, to not uh, think that interdisciplinary approaches in physical education are not acceptable or not embraced. I think they're positive. I just think we've, that been, the we've been doing that. We've been uh, advocating for that for years prior to the Common Core. Uh, to, uh, the Western uh, philosophy of separating the mind, body, and spirit is, uh, you know, we, we can get into a whole philosophical discussion about that. Don't mistake what we're saying as, as, uh, as saying that we're against interdisciplinary approaches. That's not the case. You yourself, Risto, have published on integration literature, and we, and we use this in our study. We use this in the Common Core study that we did from this, and and. What did we find out from, from what you discovered? Well, we found out that integration in physical education occurs largely in mathematics. But yet the policy in New York State was encouraging or requiring PE teachers to align to English. Mm-hmm. So there's a mismatch there. There clearly, you know, Dr. Garrison mentions, why are we not at the table? Why are physical educators not being consulted when these policies are being derived? Well. I brought up at the beginning of the conversation, I bring it up now and probably bring it up again, because the policy and PE teachers, art, health, um, music are afterthoughts. Those subjects are afterthoughts when these policies are originally envisioned. Yeah. Well, I love the slogan, uh, nothing, about, nothing about me without me. Um, and I think that goes for students, it goes for teachers too. You know, I, I, if we're gonna evaluate, I wanna, I'm, I'm, you know, I have a stake in this and I also have expertise. Um, and so the question of how integration takes place, and I agree with everything that was just said, I just, sometimes I think the motives are, um, you know, that other article that Clancy and I wrote together about is the physical being taken out of physical education. We, we, we were worried in part based on the work we were doing here that um, the policies were consciously otherwise driving out uh, the already limited time for very valuable, uh, well-planned physical education. Uh, proper, you know, that in the domain of the physical and the physical literacy idea, we need we need time and space for that to be done well. And you know, if we're doing it once every six days, and then you want to take more of that to do some integration, the the first problem to solve is to that needs to have pride of place along with all the other curriculums. Um, however, that could, that's not an easy thing to organize, in, even beyond the cost of it. It's just it's difficult to do that in the way schools are structured right now. But that's really ultimately the problem is that there's just you know, the time allocated to these things isn't isn't what's required for them to play their role both internal to their own uh, aims as a domain and into their ability to facilitate the development and growth in other domains. Yeah, you know, Risto, you ask about teachers and how they feel about this. Well, it, it, in reference to our study, uh, what what were teachers reporting? Well, if they didn't have the APPR to contend with. And thinking about standards one, uh, which is psychomotor focused, they would pick a performance-based assessment 94% of the time. Okay, but yet, what's the policy or what's the, uh, the the test being used as a result of this policy? The written test, yeah. the fitness test, and the fitness test has its problems, which mm-hmm. I think we're going to chat about a little bit as well. So, you know, there's a lot to think about there. For sure. So. What what would a performance based assessment look like that somebody a teacher would want to do? Uh, great question. I mean that that you know that could be something like PE metrics, right? Or 
uh, another like a skill rubric that, for basketball dribbling or yeah, skill rubric like for skills, uh, hopefully an open uh, you know environment uh, you know skill or game based uh, oriented assessment if it's uh, if you're learning about a particular sport or 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 if it's more movement oriented something geared towards that physical activity. Okay. That's not being used according to this policy. Yeah, but that is what so teachers would want to do if they were given the chance. That, exactly. If they didn't have the policy, and at least in our study, 94% of teachers would default to the performance-based assessment, which makes sense with, with being, physical education being a default physical sphere. Now, the other thing you asked about teachers, Dr. Garrison can attest to this. I had two, three, four teachers email me privately during this study and indicate that they felt uncomfortable completing a study for fear of their results being seen by their administration. Hmm. Please understand that this was an anonymous survey. Yes. Hmm. So we had no idea their responses anyway, but then right. we had some reach out and were concerned about honestly answering our questions. Right. So Dr. Garrison talked about this distrust, uh, the deprofessionalization all of those factors are looming in this uh, discussion, for sure. I'll say, though, we, we did present evidence in the article uh, based on um, uh, their response to whether, you know, their evaluation of APPR and its, its, its effect on, uh, on PE. There's two questions there. And uh, based on what we know about uh, the pattern of survey, survey responses and how people typically respond to the, the survey structure, not the content, um, we, we think people were pretty honest and that if they if they liked what their district was doing or they liked APPR, they they were free to say so. And they, there wasn't evidence in the data that people's responses were terribly skewed because they either felt pressured to to view it critically, or uh, felt pressured to to view it positively. I mean that um, you know we did the best we could with that. That's obviously a hard question to answer, but we did see evidence in our responses that you know people seem to be responding as they really really felt they should. So. One of the things we pointed out, which I think is really important, because we started the discussion with this idea of gaming the system. Um, one of the concerns was that teachers would focus on the students most likely to show growth as a strategy for boosting their rating. Mm -hmm. And when we asked PE teachers if they were going to do that, they said no. Um, and that we think evidence is at least an indirect form of evidence that they're committed to working with all students and they don't, they don't want to respond that way while also saying that they didn't think this APPR would help them improve the quality of PE. Um, so they, they, they didn't say they, were, they weren't responding to the policy pressure to work with select students to promote growth so that their um, rating would go up. But they also reported thinking that this general approach to evaluating teachers would not help the profession. Um, and you can, you can see that's very consistent with their ranking of what, is, what they think would be the best way to evaluate, which would be the performance assessment with the frequency of uh, performance assessments that were negotiated, right? So whether the PE teacher was part of that negotiation really depends on how active they were in their collective bargaining unit, I guess. Right. Um, but you can see the mismatch there. And so I think, I think the responses were pretty reflective and we didn't talk about this very much, but you know, our, our sample was, was small, but we, we did it in a systematic way that makes it fairly representative of PE teachers across New York State from New York, from New York City all the way up to Buffalo, New York. Yeah. And, and I saw that you kind of went through until you got a quota of teachers from each individual uh, region. So it is representative across the different, the different zones in, in New York. Um, I, I will say that yeah, the margin of error we had was the margin of error was a little over four. So if you if you take one of those percentages and you you know you go up or down, um, the general trend that you see, especially in terms of the ranking or the popularity or the choices that districts made, that the pattern is the same. Yeah. Um, even if we're on, you know, if it's 85 and not 80, or 75 and not 80, or 37, or it's maybe maybe it's 28. Mm -hmm. The general yeah. pattern is the same. Yeah. So and. Clancy and I have been on podcasts before with, with Ash Casey, and I'll, I'll tell you, Clancy, I've never been this far off script ever. Well, I've just had such a great conversation, and I don't even know what questions I should have <laughs> asked at this point. But so let me, let me give you an opportunity to kind of fill in any of the results that we've, we've missed before we go into talking about 
where where we should be going. So are there any other results about fitness testing or um, math and English scores that we haven't covered from this study? Well, I, and Mark already uh, shed light a little bit about this, but fitness test was the second most reported uh, metric used for the APPR by PE teachers. Uh, so that's problematic in a lot of ways. Uh, but, you know, and why is it being used? Well, probably because, again, the understanding, the literacy of the policy itself is not there. So school district administrations, PE teachers are, are, do, are choosing the path of least resistance. But what's the problem? If you start to measure uh, or start to use scores on fitness tests to determine the effectiveness of teachers, then what's next? Do we now start grading students on fitness, which we now, we, which we frown upon, right, for various reasons, or conversely, the, uh, vice versa, the other way around. If we're going to grade students on fitness, then why can't we grade teachers on their growth or lack thereof? So fitness testing poses a lot of challenges um, in and of itself, and yet being used by 27% of PE teachers reported by this policy. That's problematic. Over the years, in, in my years in New York State, when this policy was first being uh, enacted, I received phone calls from school districts about what my thoughts were about utilizing this policy at working at uh, Canisius College in, in the PEAT program. And what are your thoughts? And I, would, I, I was advised against using fitness testing scores. Uh, but yet, in many cases, that was not... Uh, you know that was that advice was ignored. Yeah. Uh, why? Well, maybe because again, passive least resistance. But again, you know, like Dr. Garrison brought up, PE faces many obstacles in and of itself. You know, just the, uh, in terms of resources and when it's offered. But then, to to now think about the growth score that may take place with fitness uh, for a child with all these extenuating variables, the same the same problems in PE. Probably for the child, the resources, access, all these things. Uh, that's just not realistic. Um, and then you brought up gaming the system. And I, I brought up how I got originally interested uh, in this because of the history behind value-added models. And uh, the history, uh, what, what we've seen, what, gaming the system, all these things that we've heard, took place many, many years ago when, it, when this first came out. So... Um, that's what I would add when it comes to fitness testing. Anything you want to add to that, Mark? Well, I just want to say I think fitness testing makes sense to the non-PE professional and the public. You go to PE class, you do some exercise, you should be more fit. Let's test and see if you're more fit. It, it has a sort of face validity to it that um, on further examination, obviously, I think it's, there's, a, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of issues there. I mean, I might joke, okay, should we measure the fitness of the PE teachers? Um, uh, you know, uh, whereas performance based assessment requires the expertise of the PE professional or the educator in any content to be at the center mm -hmm. because to evaluate uh, PE in a more a more rigorous and deep way um, like this idea of the, uh, the the game based learning we wanted to evaluate that well you'd have to know what that is fitness you know get the BMI out you know how, how fast can you run a mile I don't know I mean people kind of intuitively understand that so I think it's an easy sell and it's unfortunate that PE gets reduced to, although fitness is obviously important, and I'm all for it. Um, fitness, you know, fitness as a public is public face validity, and I think part of the problem we face is uh, education about PE itself in the public sphere. And I'll give you my own personal example to go off more script. When I first met Clancy, and Clancy came to the program, I really, I'll admit it, and I'm bad for this. I said, Oh no, a PE teacher, you know, this is going to be a really difficult time. And instead, it turned out to be one of the best transformative experiences I've had as an educator is working with Clancy and learning more about PE and being able to think very carefully and empirically understand as well the value of physical education, sports, and athletics in the larger context of education. Um, I myself, who feel like I'm a pretty open-minded guy, had a negative perception, um, partly because I had a bad experience in school, like Risto, like you mentioned, I think many people or at least some people did. Um, and I, I think that's part of the issue here is there, there's more education. I think this, at first I was skeptical, but this physical literacy idea that uh, Clancy and I and others have been talking about more lately, I think is very, very important. And I think it's, uh, you know, educating the public about 
what is PE and its role un, in terms of physical literacy. So English is, you know, the, the English literacy and mathematical literacy, and then there's physical literacy. And I think these things um, need to be explored. And, you know, when you ask parents, what do you want from your school, which I think is a great question, we also need to respond to like, here's what these domains actually are so that you can talk about what you want from each domain. Right. Absolutely. And I think, you know, our, the podcast is listened to by 51% international. So it's more internationally listened to. So when they hear that, that, that higher percentage used fitness testing to be evaluated, I'm sure they're like pulling their hair out in frustration of like, what is it with the U.S. that's so stuck on this on this single test? And and I think that it's moving away. I think that there there's still tons of fitness testing going on. But I know during the pandemic, Virginia changed up from Fitnessgram into a different program. They uh, I know they've put it on hiatus, and I think California for trying to figure out or at least they were proposing before the pandemic to put it on hiatus to to figure out how do you how do you deal with it because it's it's so toxic to to certain individuals so um i'm sure that that you also mentioned uh, yeah i I mean uh good point and you also mentioned that fitness testing might be the closest the discipline has to a standardized test so that's certainly plays in this discussion too so we that that can't be lost and again you know don't necessarily quantifiable yeah don't necessarily mistake us being against fitness education or fit learning about fitness and pe programs that's critical but fitness testing poses a lot of challenges so where should we be going you know where should we be going with this uh with this you know teacher evaluation there's, there's definitely an argument to be said about keeping teachers accountable. We know those stories of teachers who are just terrible, but they've gotten tenured and they just don't care. And you can't really do much about them, unfortunately, in, in the U.S. context. And so, like, what, where should we, like, push? What should policy, I mean, I've learned at least that Teach, PE teachers should be at the table when these discussions are happening so they can advocate for themselves. But where do you both feel like this, this teacher evaluation should be going? Go ahead, Doc. I'll, I'll, I'll follow Well, you. I just wanted to, I, I think this fitness discussion we just had and the language that was used is just this narrow one test. I think, you know, I, I think there needs to be a, uh, you know, a consolidated effort to talk about what are, you know, the, the way you evaluate something is by clearly specifying what it is you want. What, what, what are the goals, right? You can't have, you know, is the program effective? Well, what was the program supposed to do? Who was it effective for? Under what conditions was it effective? And what were the unintended consequences that we need to be aware of? So the same general model of thinking needs to be applied to PE. What do we want? You know, I, I don't think it's just evaluating teachers. Um, there's this gr- guy uh, who made the he made the basic claim. He said we shouldn't be testing students; we should be testing the curriculum. And I and I think that philosophy kind of applies here too. We should be we should be testing is PE doing what we want PE to do, and what is it we want PE to do? And then within that, students and teachers obviously are are the things we're going to go to to learn about what's going on with PE. Um, and that's the starting point. So I think when you, if you reverse engineered it, if you said, what would a good performance assessment look like? You're really answering questions about what your goals are. And, and I, but I, I think it's better if we start, what is it we want PE? So are we, are we trying to, and I think, I think the more, the more we advocate for having a clear set of goals for PE that's accepted by all parties, you know, I'm not talking to shape America. I'm talking about state ed and, 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 and teacher teacher groups, including AFERD and, and, and anyone else who's who's around, would articulate the goals. And then when we articulate the goals, we can say, okay, how would we determine if we're meeting those goals? And then what's the role or place of collecting information about that from the point of view of a teacher or a student or a school? So if we're evaluating PE, we also have to evaluate what kind of PE resources are available at the school. If I was an evaluator hired to look at, you know, the quality of nutrition or something, I would look at the resources, not just not just what the kids are eating. I'd look at what I'd look at other things related to nutrition at the school. 
and I, it's unfortunate that the evaluation of teachers gets this very narrow focus as opposed to a, a much broader evaluation framework. If you look at the whole thing, which is the school provide, what are the resources in the community? Um, what kind of culture exists in the school? Is every, are, are people with disabilities able to participate in sports? Is that, is that norm and expectation part of the culture of the school? Um, are, different, are different physical abilities respected and understood? All of that plays a role into the fitness question and into the performance question. But I'm not an expert. I mean, that's just my view. That would be, I would, if I was the evaluation advisor here, that's what I'd say. I'd say let's, well, let's, get that, let's get that discussion going. We'd have to get the whole physical education uh, field together to agree on what the purpose of physical education is first which we can't agree on, and what knowledge is most worth in physical education is also all over the board. If you ask, you know, researchers or PE teachers, you know, you can, we, we had a conversation um, where we asked, um, I think it was like 12 or 13 scholars to, in three minutes, give feedback of where the, um, the next standard should be going for Shape America. And it's all over the board. It's all over the board of what people feel like is the most important. And some people say like, you have to value the physical. Others are saying you have to value the cognitive. You have to put in physical literacy. It should be social emotional learning. It should be a social justice agenda. And so like, it's all over the board of where we feel we need to go and so i think that's that's our first step as a field we need to kind of have some collective understanding and then work from from that I, I don't know if this is if this was just how you were speaking or this is how it was posed but i'll go back to our study in our study we asked people to rank the importance of the shape america standards and we later realized that asking them to do so was the wrong approach to what we were trying to get at and in general might not be the we kind of included like if they're the if they're i think there's five right clancy um, right. Yep. five standards they all play a unique role it's not that one is more important than the other it's that they're all parts of the larger whole and they all play a part it's sort of like asking i got a phone call once and they it was for elections they said what do you think is more important clean air or clean water and i said are you kidding me i said you can't have one without the other yeah and so you you, you can't if the question is what's the most important element for PE, you're going to get it. You're going to have a debate because you're asking people to rank things. Right. But if you ask them, what are the conditions required for successful PE? Let's name those conditions. I would hope that there'd be a little bit more unanimity. Of, they might favor physical more than someone else, but no one's going to say it shouldn't be physical. Right. Everyone's everyone's going to say it's so. What like if we were to draw a map of what we want to build the PE house? and there's bedrooms and beams and water and air conditioning, what are all the PE components that fill in for the water, beams, and air conditioning? What are all the things that are required for PE to be successful? Um, and, and think about it that way as a design. We're designing a house, of so the PE house. I really I mean, like you may that. also... I really like that idea of building the PE house. I think that would be a really cool, like yeah. a class ex like experiment, have your have your class. Hey, maybe we should write that article called Building the PE House. Why don't no, we just, maybe. We'll just write that article? I mean, yeah. you, you could also ask, you know, how much time a PE teacher may spend in relation uh, aligning to standards. That's okay too, but Mark makes a great point. And the thing, uh, a couple things I would add too are, I don't think any teacher, particularly good teachers, are against evaluation. And, I, and we don't make that argument here. I think we, we welcome it. But we want to make sure that these evaluations are fair and valid. Uh, and I think that's the key to, um, to the points of our article itself. And, and, and where do we go from here, you ask? You know, I, uh, you know I, a lot of the points that you uh, bring up with Dr. Vandermars, you know, the little P, the middle P, the, and, and the big P, you know, the, the idea that, and Dr. Lawson himself, of course, you know, the idea that, you know, PE teachers at the grassroots level that the, in the trenches need to understand these policies. <clears throat> Not so much so that they can uh, be at the table. Maybe they don't want to be at the table. But they need to understand these policies just from a, 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 a practice standpoint. And then there's going to be some at the little P that want to be involved in decisions. And, and then maybe they get involved in the middle P, which is at the state level. And like Dr. Vandermars mentioned, and you're you're working with your New York your New York State Aphids or other state associations. 
to help advocate for valid, reasonable metrics for teacher effectiveness or teacher evaluation. And then the big P, as we said, maybe it's maybe it's peak programs. Um, Dr. Vanderbar has mentioned a great point that uh, that we certainly have stressed today: being at the table, right? But also, state ads working with PE programs, working with PE teachers in the trenches collaboratively to develop a policy that not only measures some outcomes, yes, but is also has a, a process in place to evaluate if the outcomes are aligned, if the policy is working, are there adverse effects? No policy is uh, ever envisioned or ever created with that type of evaluation and reflection to take, uh, that takes place. And then, as I mentioned lastly, these policies, APPR or Common Core, they're always considered for the classroom teacher. And I'm not mitigating the importance of the classroom teacher. We're all important, but these policies should be envisioned with every subject or discipline in mind, not just the classroom teacher. Yeah, I, I think that is a, a great place to kind of wrap this up. Um, I, I really appreciate both of you coming on and sharing all this knowledge and I, and I would push for people to advocate for their position. And I know that, you know, you, you were specifically focused in New York. So this could be a little bit different in different states. And if you're in different uh, countries, obviously it's going to be very different, but, um, I don't think that advocacy piece goes anywhere. I think you got to be sitting at the table when the decisions are made and, um, you know, protest when somebody says that, oh, we've made a blanket decision that all teachers, including music, arts, physical education, are required to be evaluated on the math and English language test scores or forcing somebody to fitness test, you know, their, their students um, to be evaluated. Like, I think there's, there's so many problems with that. So I'll, I'll add to the notes section, the bamboozled, uh, link that, uh, Dr. Garrison, um, brought in and, um, I'll link to the full article. It's a great read. Um, it's really interesting. And I think that, um, it, it's a jumping off point for future research for sure in this area. So thank you to both. Appreciate your time. Thank you so much for your time and, and efforts here. And uh, um, hopefully we can learn something about evaluation from our international listeners as well. I think some cultural and uh, comparative education makes a, helps think through these things. Absolutely. Thanks, Bristol. Thanks, Mark, for jo joining me today as well. And uh, uh, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, our listeners' responses. Thanks again for having me. And nobody steal the paper title, Build the P.E. House. That's taken. <laughs> Indeed. Thanks. If you're still listening, you're probably really into health and physical education. So I'm going to use this opportunity to pitch our master's program to you if you don't have your master's degree yet. Um, our 100% online master's degree program we offer at George Mason is affordable. You can do it while teaching, and it's high quality. Um, Mason was listed as one of the top 50 universities under 50 years old in the world. Our education department was ranked in the top 10 nationally for the online master's degree program in curriculum and instruction. The master's degree uh, revolves around your teaching. So you'll use assignments from the classes to immediately apply research and best practices to your classes. You'll be part of a tight-knit cohort of health and physical education professionals who are passionate about teaching. You're also going to get an opportunity to interact with students in other content areas. So if you're interested, you can email me, look me up on Twitter, or you can go on the hpewebsite.com under study with us and watch a video that I've made.